Anti-Racist Film Club podcast, a production of The Commons, the online faith space created by the South Sound Methodist Co-op. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're a bunch of people excited to watch movies and grow together through the lens of anti-racism. I'm your host, Lauren Fontanella, and today I'm joined by Elizabeth Castro, a member here at First Olympia and frequent patron of the film club. She also happens to be my mother. How are you today, Mom? I am doing just fine, daughter. (laughs) How are you? I'm pretty good. So, as the audience is probably aware, you're not a pastor, or maybe you're not aware of that, but uh, yes, mom is not a pastor, but uh, because this podcast episode is coming out the first week of April, and that happens to be Holy Week, or the week of Easter, we're giving the pastors a bit of a break and letting uh, some lay leaders take over hosting the podcast. How do you feel about that? It's slightly nerve-wracking, to be honest, uh, but I am happy to do it. I really enjoy our discussions in the Anti-Racist Film Club. I am on my own journey to be a more anti-racist Christian myself, and so I love exploring these topics through the lens of film, and so I was excited at the opportunity when you asked me to participate this time around. So thanks, Lauren. Absolutely. Uh, Well, one of the advantages of doing it this way is that we're able to talk about a film that maybe we weren't able to get copyrights to show in the actual film club. Because if you come to our meetings uh, and you notice a pattern in some like the ways that we choose films, it's because we can't necessarily show everything. We get special licenses. But with the freedom of this guest-led episode that's not tied to a physical meeting, we can talk about literally any film we want. So what film are we talking about today? I chose everything, everywhere, all at once. And I'm so excited to talk about it because when I saw this film for the first time, it was recommended by one of my friends. I was blown away. I was like, this film has everything in it. And (laughs) it was like, it lives up to its title. I, I felt like there was just this explosion of ideas. There was many, many different genres all rolled into one film and it truly lived up to its name. It was everything I could have asked for. It seemed like they were traveling everywhere and it was all happening at once. So (laughs) (laughs) it's a great, great film. Yeah, for those who haven't heard of it, this is a film that came out just last year, uh, almost exactly a year ago. It's also, I mean, we're recording this before the Academy Awards, which are in less than a week, so you'll hear this after. But it is nominated for many awards this weekend, including Best Picture. And I know it's uh, it's one of the ones that you're hoping will win. Yeah, it was my favorite film last year. And so <laughs> I am so excited that uh, the actors, uh, directors, everyone who worked on this film for that, you know, that coveted best picture category, that they are being recognized for their work. And for being such a relatively low budget film, it's really impressive uh, what they were able to do. If you've seen this movie, you might be surprised to learn it only had about a $25 million budget. So it was an independent film with crazy ambitious like cinematography and special effects i mean 25 million is a lot of money but not in terms of movie making absolutely yeah so uh would you want to share with the club a little bit why you think it's a good fit for the uh anti-racist aspects or that particular lens of viewing the film Sure. So this film is about a Chinese immigrant family. There's multiple generations represented in this film. And 
we get to explore their family dynamics. We get to explore their language. We get to explore sort of possibilities within their life as well as limitations. And it's through an understanding of that different cultural perspective that I think we turn a lens on ourselves and what is our own understanding of the world around us. What are our challenges? I found myself at times identifying with the characters in this film and at other times uh, not identifying with the characters in this film. So it's a great film to learn about ourselves through. Well, I'm very excited to discuss it with you. Well, let's talk a little more about it then. All right. So I will jump into a description of the film so that we can uh, start discussing the very complex plot. (laughs) I have a feeling we're going to have to like define a few in movie terms and uh, describe all the different multiversal elements of the film. So this is... um, what I could condense into a couple paragraphs. Go for it. Everything Everywhere All at Once is an absurdist comedy drama action film with a hundred other adjectives that I won't list here. It's written and directed by Daniel Kwan and Daniel Scheinhardt, better collectively known as The Daniels, and starring actors like Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Hsu, and Kei Hui Kwan. The film centers on a Chinese-American immigrant named Evelyn Wang who runs a laundromat with her husband, Waymond. While being audited by the IRS, the plot suddenly jumpstarts when Evelyn is recruited by a variant of her husband from another universe who asks her to help him defeat the greatest threat to all of humanity across time, space, and the multiverse. Her own daughter. By hijacking abilities from other versions of herself, Evelyn will fight her way through confronting past family trauma, alternate realities where humans have hot dogs instead of fingers, the truth about her failing marriage, raccoons, and a bagel with literally everything on it to try and save her daughter from the evil that she may have caused in the first place. Did I summarize this film enough? Will Evelyn ever correctly pronounce Jobu Tapaki? Does nothing even matter in the end? I guess we'll just have to discuss everything, everywhere, all at once. That was a fantastic summary. Thank you. <laughs> it's a it's a film that has a lot to do with mother and daughter relationships. And so I find it very valuable that uh, we happen to be the ones discussing it. I don't know if the audience will agree, but we watched it together yesterday. And it was definitely a different experience viewing it in a family setting. I believe at one point in our viewing yesterday, I said something like, so does uh, this encapsulate our relationship? Or... <laughs> Are we quite as complicated? Right. Right, right. Yeah. So in that respect, yes, I could identify with Evelyn uh, as the mother to Joy. Uh, I could identify with her as a wife uh, to Waymond, uh, as a daughter, right, to her father, who's in the film as well. And uh, at the same time, I'm like, huh, I don't know that I have all of the same challenges that she has in those relationships. Mm -hmm. It was really interesting to be able to watch it uh, with my own family. So, and now to have this discussion with you about it. So where do you want to start with the film, unpacking it and such? Oh, let's see. I guess with the opening lines, that's one of the things that struck me uh, when I was in the theater when I first saw this film is that it opens in Mandarin, Mm -hmm. and there were subtitles. And I had this internal reaction like, oh, is this a foreign film? 
oh, is this going to be in subtitles this whole time? And then I quickly realized, oh, those are my biases playing out right there <laughs> in the first few minutes of this film. No, this is uh, an American story. This is about an immigrant family who is living in Southern California. They own a laundry mat, uh, and Evelyn is sort of living that American dream that seems to be one of those topics that uh, we talk quite a bit about in the Anti-Racist Film Club. Mm-hmm. And that speaking Mandarin is just part of, of who they are and uh, their family dynamics in that uh, Waymond and Evelyn came from China, but they are very much American living here in America, raising a daughter. That was the language that they spoke. And it wasn't until you and I were watching the film yesterday Mm -hmm. that the subtitles we had closed captioning on and so superimposed over the film's subtitles in English were the closed captioning that was letting us know that when Evelyn spoke to her father, she was speaking Cantonese. But when she spoke to Waymond, she was speaking Mandarin. Yeah, which uh, there was even a moment where her daughter Joy is uh, trying to have a conversation with the grandfather. And she does like she kind of knows a little bit of Cantonese, but can't fully form the thoughts. And so there's that like generational loss of some familial language and communication Mm -hmm. in a way it brought about miscommunication and part of the theme of the film is just really people not understanding each other Mm -hmm. and so the the different dialects and then english in the mix and then going back and forth between english and the different chinese dialects uh was very much an experience that people who are multilingual have with each other it's part of how you relate to each other And that is something that uh, I do not have in my daily life in that, you know, with the family that you were raised in, Lauren, you know, we spoke English, you know, Mm -hmm. even though I speak Spanish, I have book learned Spanish, I've lived abroad, and I'm very much proficient in Spanish, but it is definitely not a part of my daily identity and how I move through the world as a Spanish speaker. I always find it fascinating, because it's so different from me when families are multilingual, and they move uh, in and out of different languages and that they, they're they thinking in those languages um, and they're experiencing the world and they're experiencing relationships through those languages. Yeah, they would do things like start one sentence in Mandarin and then finish it in English and then hop back and forth within the same conversation and then someone else would join the room and uh, different conversations in different languages would be added to the mix. Yes, yes. So interesting to me. And then it was also interesting, uh, some of the words played into the identities of the characters. And so you have the the daughter, Joy, and she is talking to her mom, Evelyn, about telling the grandfather about her relationship uh, and this girlfriend that she has. And there's tension between mother and daughter about that introduction because Becky, the girlfriend, is coming to the party or maybe not coming to the party. That was even up for discussion, mm-hmm. whether Becky would be invited to the, the celebration that was happening in the laundromat later that day for, for the customers. And it was, oh, well, uh, am I going to introduce her or is she, he? And 
and yes very specifically so they're talking about the relationship and evelyn says something on the longs of lines of like it's not a good time to introduce him in reference to becky and joy steps in and is like you mean her mom like don't misgender the person that i'm in a relationship with right and then evelyn's like oh he she what it doesn't matter it's in and i don't remember which dialect it was but in chinese it doesn't matter it's the same and so just even that that meaning of oh gender and identity and how that's described for me i didn't know that and so it was like oh okay so yeah different languages have different ways of describing things Yet it was still this awkward contention point between mother and daughter. And then when Evelyn does end up introducing Becky to her father, Gong Gong, she does not use the term girlfriend. And it comes back in the end, right? There's a character arc and Evelyn grows and is able to use the word girlfriend in Cantonese uh, when speaking to her dad later on. And uh, it's then a touching moment because the relationship between mother and daughter is healing and there's some more understanding and respect than is had there at the end. Yeah, and communication, which draws back to the idea of language and the ways that it's used in the film. Absolutely. And just being able to use that word, sort of claim that word in describing the relationship between her daughter and Becky, Gong Gong understood then the relationship. And had he not had the gift of her using the word girlfriend and all of its meanings in that relationship, then he wouldn't have connected with Becky then in the way that he needed to, to be able to bring her truly sort of into the family and into relationship. Yeah, absolutely. So family was such a big theme throughout this film. It was a family drama at its core. I think some would describe the film as a fantasy. Some would describe it as an absurdist comedy. Mm-hmm. Others would describe it as action adventure, right? There certainly was martial arts in there as well. And even sort of a, there was a superhero type of feel to the movie as well. Yes. But really at the heart or why I connected so much to this movie was because of the family dynamics. And a lot of those dynamics were expressed through generational trauma. Mm-hmm. Hurt people hurt people. And that was seen over and over in these relationships uh, between the different characters. We haven't really talked too much about Waymond yet, but uh, near the beginning of the film, he is trying to deliver divorce papers to Evelyn. Well, one thing about the divorce papers in particular is that Waymond doesn't necessarily want to get divorced, but the way that his relationship with Evelyn works is that it needs extremes in order to get each other's attention, that something has to be wrong or there needs to be an emergency for them to really talk to each other. So he thinks the best way to get her attention is to threaten to end the relationship. Yeah, it's really interesting, too, that they don't really see each other. They don't really understand each other or know each other. And it's this way to sort of make visible this invisible disconnect that they have. Yeah, those divorce papers 
hers. He's he's trying to confront her, but on the backside is the instructions that then end up sending her off into this multi-universe uh, alternate version of herself. And so she completely misses this big reaction he's hoping to get from her uh, as she's whisked away to start her sort of self-reflection and self-discovery mm-hmm. in the fantasy part of the film. And with those fantasy elements, a huge part of this film is like, what ifs in her life. She's described as the Evelyn who is living the worst version of what an Evelyn in the whole multiverse could be like. And every decision, she either made the wrong one or the one that didn't benefit her in the best possible way. We see some of these other life paths that if she didn't get married to Waymond, then she would have become a famous martial arts movie star. And part of that harkens back to the family trauma that you initially started this topic with. Yeah, so she leaves China. They're for leaving Gong Gong, her father. And there's a sense of abandonment there and resentment uh, that she's gone off to America following Waymond and didn't live up to some spoken or unspoken expectations that he had for her. And then that hurt. It hurt the relationship. Now she has her daughter and there are some classic things that are portrayed in other movies. And I don't know how much of this is played out in Chinese families, but the describing her daughter in terms of uh, her weight or in terms of uh, you're eating too much, you're getting fat. Mm-hmm. Almost like those are bids for connection, but they sound so much like insults. Right. There was a, a really striking moment, I think, when they're they're having this sort of fight and at the end of it, uh, it, it's it's specifically right after she doesn't tell Gong Gong that Becky is Joy's girlfriend. And so Joy storms off and she's mad at her mother uh, because of that lack of communication. And Evelyn says something along the lines of like, you're too fat. You need to start losing weight. And then it, the camera holds on her because as as the two characters drift apart, it holds on Evelyn. And you can tell that she knows she didn't say the right thing or the thing that would bolster the connection, but she didn't know what else to say. This was her way of trying to connect and it didn't work. Yeah. And it's that generational trauma that happens in families where it's like, I'm going to I'm going to push you away by saying the very thing that I said because I'm actually wanting to connect, but that the hurt just continues and it makes it harder to connect at all. And it's sad. And that dynamic plays out over and over in families. So you see the relationship between Gong Gong and Evelyn, and then you see the relationship between Evelyn and Joy. And really, they just want to know each other, but they don't. Yeah, we should talk a little bit about the character of Jobu Tapaki, who is a a multiversal version of Joy from the Alphaverse, is how it's defined in the terms of the film. Uh, but she's she's the villain of the movie. Yeah, which is super interesting because she's not the classic villain that wants to destroy everything. She doesn't really want to kill Evelyn, which is what you would think would be the, the way that a, a superhero villain type of a movie would go. She doesn't actually want to hurt her, even though there's constant threat of harm. It's that she wants to connect with her. She wants to 
oh, if you haven't seen the movie, it's hard to explain, but she wants her to go into the bagel of everything, right? She wants to together to go and sort of be everything, but be nothing all at the same time. Yeah. And that she just wants to do that together and to connect. Uh, but there's a constant threat of harm and there's lots of fighting that happens throughout this movie as well. And a lot of power struggles and tension that's going on between characters. Yes. So you mentioned the bagel, which is sort of, uh, it's an everything bagel by which the film means literally everything in like a black hole sense. And Jobu uses it as a symbol of nihilism and that her belief that nothing matters, that when you experience everything in the entire multiverse, every single branch of reality all happening at once, none of your actions have any consequence because there's always another version where it went a different way or all of these versions of you are constantly clamoring for attention, but none of them really matter because your attention is split a million different ways. And so she wants to just enter the bagel and cease to exist because that's her way of viewing the universe. And that stems directly from her connection with her mother. Yeah. And it's interesting to think that, all right, so if, nothing exists anymore, nothing matters, then that actually gives you the freedom to get rid of the guilt and the shame that you have as you've worried about everything that you're doing wrong throughout your life. You can sort of let it go because at the end, well, I mean, nothing really matters. Mm -hmm. What is the phrasing they use in that scene where she talks about like letting go of the guilt for like not making more of your life? Which connects to Evelyn because she is the quote unquote worst of the Evelyns. Uh, Wayman says something along the lines of you're so good. Or you have so much potential because you're so bad at everything. <laughs> it's sort of that like there's, o there's only one way to go and it's up because every choice that you've made has sort of been the worst one that you could have and you've just ended up in this this sort of miserable place. So therefore, it's only open to opportunity. It can only get better from here. And somehow that is supposed to be empowering. And, and so it's just the film is just like this contradiction of things. It's like the best and the worst and it's the most and the least. And it's the guilt and the shame while simultaneously wanting the best for the next generation, but feeling guilty that somehow you've damaged them at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, so lots of contradictions. Yeah. I mean, there's even the contradiction within Evelyn's view of her relationship with her daughter, specifically in regards to her sexuality, where Evelyn says something along the lines of, you should be so grateful that you have a mother who is okay with you having a girlfriend except for all of her actions and the way that she talks about the relationship and not wanting to tell it to her father. But her perception of her uh, actions is that she's being gracious. Yeah. It's a shaky sense of your own identity in how is this other person perceiving me? Am I going to come off as supportive? Am I going to come off as uh, not supportive? I want... I want my daughter to believe that I am supportive of her, but I've got this internal turmoil going on and I don't really know how I feel about this thing. Mm -hmm. And then your physical responses or your actions, like you were saying, Lauren, end up then contradicting the words that you're saying 
And that can be very disconcerting when you're the person on the receiving end of that trying to navigate the world. Like, am I okay? Is she okay? I don't really know. These are mixed messages that I'm getting right now. Right. And of course, Joy doesn't have necessarily the full story of Evelyn's life and where she's coming from. Whereas Evelyn's own parents, especially uh, Gong Gong, were not supportive of her relationship with Waymond. And she ended up having to leave the country uh, and cut off family ties, presumably until maybe the moment of this film. I mean, they have a few throwaway lines about Gong Gong having met Joy before, but it's pretty clear that they're not close with Evelyn's side of the family. They don't speak even Cantonese in their home. They they speak Mandarin, which is what Wayman's side of the family speaks. There's this sense or fear of abandonment. In a way, Evelyn abandoned her father by coming to the United States. And then Evelyn may fear that Joy is abandoning her with this lifestyle choice and chosen relationship that she's entering into that's going to disconnect them. And she's fearing then that there's a sense of abandonment there. Mm -hmm. Yet what she's not really understanding and that it's brought to light. uh, And I think it's even Gong Gong that tells Evelyn, you're just like your daughter. Like you've pushed away your own daughter or you pushed her till you broke her. And and you're the one that created the, the alpha version of Joy, the Jobu Tupaki, that you're the one that created this like ultimate villain by pushing her away. But what you don't understand is that she's exactly like you. Mm-hmm. In the climax of the film, I hadn't put this together until you started talking about the fear of abandonment. Mm -hmm. What Jobu asks is for Evelyn to let her go, to let her just join the bagel, to cease to exist, and she'll leave everyone alone. But what she wants desperately is space from her mother. And so it, it flips from Evelyn trying so desperately to hang on to her daughter to then she agrees to give her space but the film doesn't finish there. Then has an another scene after that where it talks about the ways that they're drawn to each other, that when they're together, they fight, but they don't want really to be separate forever. They don't want to break that connection, even though it harms them both. And they have to go through the pain to get to the other side to find that that true connection and then be able to identify with each other in ways that they couldn't recognize before. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of power dynamics at play and that's one of them. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. This connection, like you have power over me because you're, you're my mother and you raised me and you set these expectations for me. And now you're pushing away while simultaneously pulling back. And there's this constant, tension there. There's the power play that Waymond is attempting to thrust those divorce papers at Evelyn and make a power move. Which then Evelyn takes back in the end of the film by actually signing them, which Waymond never even wanted in the first place. He just wanted to get her attention. (laughs) Right. And so it's like this constant back and forth. And then you have the whole IRS. Like we haven't even talked about the fact that this film... (laughs) 
begins with the family gathering up their papers to go down to the uh, IRS office where Deirdre is their IRS agent and the power that she has over the family as she's telling them that they're going to have to close the business because they're they're not doing their taxes correctly. Yeah, we could talk about Deirdre's character. By the way, did you notice her name was Deirdre Bobirdre? I did. Once, <laughs> once I looked that up. <laughs> it's, the, the film definitely has some absurdist elements. Uh, so Deirdre's character, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, one of the few white characters in the film, uh, is this like tax auditor who really feels like a sense of self-importance because of all the awards that she wins that's in her cubicle she doesn't even have an office and Evelyn says that she believes that Deirdre is specifically targeting immigrant businesses because she has that sense of power over them and can find the flaws in the way that they file their taxes and find imperfections and we do see that some of that is a language barrier or miscommunication or not understanding how the system works and Deirdre is like I thought you were going to bring your daughter with you this time like I want to talk to your daughter because your daughter speaks English and I could communicate with her why didn't you bring her that really speaks to I think something that's very common with families where English is not the primary language of the parents Mm -hmm. and that the children who have English as their primary language are serving as interpreters uh, for their parents when it comes to business transactions and that that is that's really common but that the family chose not to bring joy to the appointment I mean specifically they bring Gong Gong who doesn't speak English at all (laughs) Right. Yet Gong Gong's like, oh, why are we going down there? And uh, Evelyn is like, oh, because the business is expanding. Like everything is good and constantly painting the world as, oh, everything is fine. Everything is good. We're not going to ironically air our dirty laundry with anyone. (laughs) I was like, oh, they run a laundromat. Yet Evelyn is... (laughs) the one who's constantly trying to hide the dirty laundry and not let anybody know that this family has flaws and this family's dynamics aren't perfect and that the business, you know, isn't expanding. It's uh, actually they're being audited and that Deirdre is uh, threatening to actually floor clothes on them and they're going to lose the business uh, instead. And maybe they didn't want joy to know uh, the the mm, business problems mm-hmm. that they were having, right? Like, is it outright like lying? Is it just hiding the truth? You know, it's uh, it's it's unhealthy, at least uh, the dynamics that they have going on with just how much they're they're hiding from each other, and and therefore there's there's all of the miscommunication that's happening. So yeah, they go into this IRS office and they have all of their papers and Deirdre is like, well, what is this with, you know, the karaoke machine? Mm-hmm. You run a laundromat. You can't claim a karaoke machine as a business expense. And uh, Wayman is like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. My wife, she just confuses her hobbies, you know, with her business. And it's this, yeah, like life is just intertwined it's intermixed like what does it matter what's a business expense what's a life uh, a life expense it's all wrapped into one and then you you realize that she's traveling through these multi 
universes and other versions of herself that she wanted to be an opera singer back in China. And that's a life path that she ended up not choosing. And it's playing out in her current life. She still enjoys singing. Mm -hmm. It's the power play, though, that Deirdre has to say, you cannot claim that expense. Therefore, you're going to lose your business because you are fraudulently claiming these business expenses. And therefore, you are a fraud. Mm -hmm. And I am going to shut you down. And I have the power to do that. And I am the institution. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there's other institutions, right, that come into play as then, you know, Deirdre calls in security. And then you've got police and you've got people with badges. And, and then that's when lots of the different power dynamics come push and pull and back and forth. And then the, the sort of superpower hours come into play. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk about, there's a very specific scene with uh, Jobu Tapaki. So it's her real big introduction into the film where we get to see the full display of her multiverse powers, uh, where she fights some security guards or police officers, uh, some people with badges and some institutional authority. And Evelyn is also in the scene. So do you, do you want to break down some of the different power dynamics there? Yeah, yeah. So the, the police have come in and they're fighting Evelyn and they're fighting Waymond and Waymond's alpha version is giving Evelyn clues as to how she can gain these superpowers from alternate versions of herself where she's got lives lived that gave her different strengths in different areas. And so then you have martial arts that are, are coming into play. And that was super interesting just to see the different versions. Mm -hmm. What is it that Deirdre uses? So the white character? She uses like American pro wrestling yeah. versus more uh, like Kung Fu is what like the martial arts version that Evelyn, her alternate life learned Kung Fu. Yes. And so then you get Jobu Tupaki enters and is like the supreme power, all knowing, all powerful being that enters the scene, yet isn't necessarily physically fighting, but is the most intimidating figure there. And she approaches the, the person wearing a badge. So whatever the badge represents police security. Yeah, let's call them police because at least they're coded as police. Sure. So she enters the scene and she approaches the this police officer and he says, uh, you can't be here. And like, get out. You you don't belong here. Well, there's a whole theme there of belonging. Oh, right? sure. Who belongs, <laughs> right? But like, you, you can't be here. You don't belong here. And Jobu Tabaki says, is it, that I can't be here or I'm not allowed to be here because I am here. <laughs> it's such a good line. Right? So I can be here. And it's like, oh yeah, look at those power dynamics at play, right? Like say what you're going to say. Am I not allowed to be here? And if I'm not allowed to be here, why am I not allowed to be here? What is it about me that says I don't belong here? I'm not allowed to be here. You know, why is that? Why do I not have the right to be here? And if I can be here, well, then I am here and it has nothing to do with whether I could be here or not. And then she takes the cigarette 
and she puts it out on his badge. <laughs> and it was just so brilliant. Uh, well, and then I think additionally, the fact that Evelyn then, who who recognizes that this is a version of Joy, but doesn't fully put together that this is not her Joy. This is not someone who has like a real emotional connection to her but she still scolds her like hey like show some respect to the badge to the to the to the institution that is threatening you Mm -hmm. because she perceives the police officer as having some sort of uh threat or danger or still authority in the situation even though she's being thrust into this multiversal war she still is worried about the institution and those institutions are extremely powerful And that there's a huge disconnect with Deirdre and the family not understanding each other. Even though Waymond is trying to explain the situation and trying to to explain that he'll get more receipts and he's making nice. He's the the version of Alpha Waymond is a fighter. Mm -hmm. Alpha Waymond, uh, he's a teacher. He's a fighter. He's a problem solver and he's, he's teaching Evelyn how to fight her own battles. And then you have Waymond who's talking to Deirdre and try to explain and apologize and playing uh, who Evelyn even sees as weaker Mm -hmm. and that he's being very submissive and apologetic. And in the end though, he's, communicating more with Deirdre and he's speaking to Deirdre in the submissive way that then Deirdre actually has some uh, understanding and empathy for Waymond when he talks about the divorce or how does that happen? Does she come across the divorce papers? Yeah. Well, okay. So what happens is it's towards the climax of the film. Evelyn has kind of bought into the nihilist sense of the philosophy of Jobu Tepaki. So she's she's living all these other lives because she's unlocked her mind and is now living in a thousand universes at once. And so she's burning them all down and destroying the connections that she has. So in this specific universe, in the specific scene, she takes a baseball bat and smashes the windows of her own laundromat because nothing matters. It doesn't matter what she does because there's no consequences. It doesn't matter that they're like foreclosing the business and that she's going to lose everything and she signs the divorce papers and she's just throwing it all away. And then the Waymond that, is like the one in her life. So not Alpha, not CEO from another universe. He tries to explain the situation to Deirdre and explain to his be- the best of his knowledge why Evelyn is acting so irrationally. And he tells her about the divorce and what a hard time the family is going through. And that is what humanizes the family in Deirdre's eyes because she too went through a painful divorce and she starts to see them as people and not just a a business that she thinks is fraudulent. Yeah. And it's that empathy that is what makes her lovable. There's this, this other theme that uh, one of the ways that Evelyn can gain the superpower is that she has to tell this arch enemy, Deirdre, that she loves her (laughs) and she can't bring herself to do it. Yeah. She's just like, I, she has to say it and she has to mean it. Yeah. And she is woefully unsuccessful with that as she tries over and over to tell this character that she loves her. But then there's the absurd scene where Evelyn and Deirdre have hot dogs for fingers <laughs> and they're flopping around with these, these hot dogs for fingers. And 
and they're they're finding oh well i mean life is terrible you even have you can have hot dogs for fingers but there's a bright side because look what we could do with our feet and they're like playing the piano with their feet and they're gaining all of the positives from this and near the end of the movie when the 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 characters now have this empathy for each other and Deirdre has empathy for the family and she's giving them yet another chance to be able to bring in these papers and prove that these deductions aren't fraudulent, but they actually have the supporting documents. And this is one more chance. And then they flash to the the hot dog finger scene. And now Evelyn and Deirdre are having a moment of affection and there's love and it's growing and there's understanding and it's like, oh, it's the extreme of we hated each other. And now it's like overwhelming love and acceptance and kumbaya, Mm -hmm. which is really interesting to me when I think about like, how does this film help us on our anti-racist journey as Christians? Yes. Because we say we love everyone, we're accepting of everyone, we have open doors, open arms, you know, come in, feel the love of Jesus uh, who accepts everyone. Yet our behavior does not always align with those statements. Mm -hmm. How do we get that empathy and connection with people who are so different from us? and with people that we have power over. So if you think of Deirdre representing the IRS, having this institutional power over the Wang family, I think you could see Deirdre as representing the church and having institutional power, how welcome are people that have been hurt by the church in the past or uh, not accepted by the church in the past? How do you mend that relationship and really live into a welcoming statement Mm -hmm. that says, we are open to everyone. Bring your full selves, your flaws, your strengths, your, your hurt, and let us celebrate you with that yeah and i mean what really brings evelyn out of her nihilist point of view is uh, a speech from waymond where he talks about treating each other with kindness even when you don't know what's happening or even when you don't understand what's going on you can still choose kindness and not just fighting all the time which is (laughs) which had been this the quote-unquote solution for the whole movie was learn this cool skill and then use it to fight but then in the, the climax of the film, it's not ultimately revenge or fighting that solves the problem. It's um, finding aspects of a person and seeing them as full people and then treating them in kind. And not just other people, but ourselves. Mm-hmm. There's this self-love and self-acceptance. And if you can love yourself, then you open up the capacity to love others as well. And if you don't love yourself, this is where we get some generational trauma. If you don't love yourself, it could be really hard to love other people as well. And then as a church, how do we live out the love everyone if we don't necessarily feel connected to everyone? Mm -hmm. You and I both went to the 
Reconciling Ministries presentation uh, just yesterday when we were yes. talking about what is the future uh, of the Reconciling Ministries movement, sort of where do we go from here, and that intersectionality is the next step, is recognizing that we all bring different identities that make us a unique person, and that we have to recognize the intersection of those identities for someone to truly belong in a space. You can't recognize just my whiteness or just my my female gender or just my sexuality. You have to accept that these things intersect to create uh, my view of the world, my perspective, and how I have been treated as I move through the world. Mm-hmm. You can't just love one part of a person. You have to love the whole person. And I think the church has done a great job of loving parts of people in the past, but have we loved the whole person? You just take sexual orientation as one of the examples that is currently dividing the United Methodist Church. It's like, we love you as a beloved child of God, but we don't like this aspect of your lifestyle choice we're not going to love that part. And you, can, you, you can't be a, a fully accepted person in this body of Christ and in these ministries and hold a leadership position or be an ordained pastor because of this part of you that we don't love. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in the language of the film, it's as if the church is, is treating facets of your identity as different multiversal versions of you where there's one universe where you are um gay and another universe where you are white and another universe where you are such identity poor rich old young these types of personal markers where jobu tapaki is a character who is all of them at once And she's treated as a villain for it because she does accept all the parts of herself that the other characters don't understand because they only want to see her as one thing. And that part of the message of the film is loving all of it, all of it at once. Yeah. And it's Evelyn's journey to get in touch with all of those different versions of herself so that she can draw on the strengths that come with each of those versions and live her best life, be her best self, and then truly belong in all of the areas and in all of those relationships and have connection with everyone in her family, as well as the community. In the community, we see as the customers of the laundromat and the climax of the movie, they're all coming together because there's this celebration of the Lunar New Year and uh, a celebration of the community and the support that the community gives this laundromat um, and the family and the business and that it is going to thrive. It's not going to be shut down. They're going to get the paperwork together. They're not frauds and that it's that connection and true understanding then where communication is happening and people are bringing their full selves to connection with each other that creates then this ultimate moment of, yes, everyone can have everything everywhere all at once. And it all does matter. uh, And they can be happy. They can find joy, right? I thought that was so interesting (laughs) that the daughter's name is Joy. Like that was very metaphorical, right? She was searching for joy and she's searching for connection with joy when 
it just all of the shame and the guilt and the disappointments that she had made it seem like there just was no joy. There was no hope. She was uh, in the darkness. Yeah. I think that everyone should go watch this film. (laughs) I agree because again, it is one of the best films I have seen in a really long time. If not one of the best films I think I've ever seen. So good. So much to think about. Uh, and explore and just think about who who you are if you were to travel the the multi-universe and explore different versions of yourself and sort of the what-if choices that you could have made uh, how could you be in touch a little bit more with your own identity and and within that identity that you have be able to connect with the humanity and the identity that others are bringing in these complex wonderful lovable flawed human beings that we are in community together absolutely thank you for listening to the anti-racist film club podcast if you haven't seen everything everywhere all at once go see it right now as soon as possible it is seriously one of the best film experiences that i have had in the last few years and like you said bob maybe ever uh, it is currently available to rent in places like Amazon Prime and stream on Paramount Plus, Showtime, and HBO Max. To learn more about the anti-racist film club itself, visit bumcoley.org or follow the links in our description below. This is a monthly podcast, so be sure to follow us on whatever platform you're currently listening to, such as Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Music, so you don't miss our next upload. But before we sign off, I just want to thank you, Mom, for leading our conversation today. It has been a pleasure, Lauren. I truly enjoy seeing you in your element, and I am super proud as your mother. Okay, fine. I guess I won't turn into a nihilist dictator villain and uh, create a bagel to destroy the multiverse. Oh, oh, that warms my heart. (laughs) As long as you don't kill me to save the universe. (laughs) No problem. Not on my agenda. Excellent. Uh, That is far from everything I have to say about this film. But for now, thanks for listening.